All right, so um, we will get going here. And again, the topic, evangelizing children. It's an interesting thing. I think there's a few different perspectives that are kind of interesting. So you might be somebody who doesn't have children yet. Maybe that's something in your future. Or maybe you're somebody who has children in the house now, or maybe you're beyond that. Like you're an empty nester, you've got grandchildren that you're around, and maybe you will never have children or grandchildren, but still, I think this is a topic that is absolutely critical for all of us because guess what? You're at North Lake Bible Church and there's a ton of children all around us and you play a role in their spiritual health. We're even teaching this to the youth this morning and you think, well, they're youth. This is an interesting topic for youth. Well, it's absolutely relevant because again, they're not only many of them going to have children in the future, but um, they have an accountability to the young people that are around them as well. So it really doesn't matter who you are. You have a responsibility towards younger generations, towards children, whether it's directly in your family or through the church, to play a role in their spiritual health, in evangelizing them and making disciples out of them. I think this is also an interesting topic from the perspective that you are a teacher. Like we talk about, hey, you wanna come take this class on how to learn how to study the Bible and teach. And some people step back and say, well, I'm never gonna be a teacher. No, we all are teachers. We all, maybe not from the standpoint of formally getting up in front of a group and speaking to a group, but you have a responsibility to be growing in your knowledge of the Lord, your love for the Lord and his truth and teaching the people around you. We all, the great commission, making disciples, that applies to every single follower of Christ, every believer. And for many of us, the place that begins is the home. And as a parent, I got three kids, but as a parent, you know that one of the things you pray for the most, if not the most, I mean, it really is your highest priority for your children. The thing that would make you most joyful as a parent, seeing your children walk with the Lord, come to know the Lord. Because life has all sorts of difficulties. Life has all sorts of challenges. We all experience that, but we know the most important thing is our relationship to Jesus Christ and our eternal security in him. And so before all other hopes for our children, before a career or athletic or academic achievement, it is that they would come to know the Lord because the same way that we seek first Christ's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else gets added unto us, same way for our children, right? We know if that um, foundational relationship with the Lord is there, other things will fall into place. So when it comes to evangelizing children, what do you think some of the common questions are? Like even think as a parent and as you've dealt with this with your children, what are some of the common challenges that y'all have faced? Answering their, they have good questions, right? I think any of us would say that um, our children will often ask us the hardest theological questions. Like it's easy for us to stand up here and be like, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
And then your kid's like, well, is God in my ice cream? It's like, all right, that's, uh, you're making me really think you. They ask you difficult questions. That's great. What else? Busy schedules. Busy schedules. There's so much happening in life. And uh, I, I love that you bring that up because that really factors into something we talk about. But sometimes just finding the time, even you think, okay, I want to read the Bible with my children. And you think, I'm going to do it at this time. But then stuff's always coming up, right? And, and so that's great, great point. What else? Yes. Absolutely. What is really going on in their hearts and minds? It is, it, it is often impossible to know. I, I think those are all great. And, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges is exactly what you just said, right? Like what is really going on in their heart and in their mind? And I think there, there's two dangers or extremes that uh, people often fall into. One of them is going to be... Uh, leading a child to thinking they are saved when they're not, right? Like, hey, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, even though you don't truly know exactly what they're thinking and what is in their heart. And then the other side, people fall to the extreme of really constantly uh, discouraging their child and saying, oh, you know, I don't think you're a Christian yet. I don't think you're a believer. And, and really um, squashing just any spiritual fruit that they begin to see. So we'll talk through many of these things in the first section in our workbook, if you have your workbook, the first section, common pitfalls in evangelizing children. And the first common pitfall, our lesson highlights for us, is oversimplifying the gospel of Christ, oversimplifying the gospel of Christ. And it's a temptation we have, I think partly because of exactly what he just said there, that um, we, we can have a hard time gauging intellectually what are our children really understanding about these truths. And so we can have that temptation to oversimplify or to undersell what children are really able to understand. But I think just these difficult questions that we mentioned a second ago that our children so often bring is evidence to us that our children are capable of intellectually understanding much more than we often give them credit for, right? Um, when Dusty asked me to teach the youth group or to, to lead the youth group coming to North Lake, I don't do it anymore, Alejandro does it, but um, one of my foundational philosophies was we don't change our teaching style much for the youth, if at all. The level we teach adults at, we're teaching the youth the same way. If they can go to school throughout the week and learn algebra and biology and physics, they can learn the things of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the teaching through the word of God. You can go to our youth group and see that we don't lower the level at all when it comes to teaching. We don't oversimplify things because they must know the truth. The same truth that we must know to be saved as adults, good and evil, sin, repentance, faith, who God is, who we are in relation to God. Those are the same truths that our children must understand to come to faith in Christ. There's not a different criteria. It's the same gospel. And 
And uh, maybe they don't understand it to the same level of sophistication, but frankly, neither do we as adults, right? I mean, like we all have different levels of sophistication in our understanding of the truths of God. And not only do we differ as individuals in that way, even a single individual is gonna continue to grow in their understanding and sophistication when it comes to the truth, right? But the same foundational principles must be understood. The gospel must be understood. And so we don't fall into that trap of oversimplifying. Um, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to seven, really a great passage on the truths of God and um, the family and how we should interact with them. Uh, I'll pick up in verse four just to give a little bit of a running start, but it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I, I I love just the beginning there because it's these very large foundational truths about who God is and how we should relate to him and how important is the word of God. It's so important that it's the very first thing that um, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to nine jumps into after introducing those big theological truths. It says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And here's where the family comes in. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This interaction between us and children and the word of God should be a consistent part of our relationship and consistently interwoven into every aspect of our lives. Um, We're exactly right, time is challenging, right? Finding the time to um, read the Bible with our children and pray with our children. Life is always crazy and changing and so it's hard to find consistency. But what the word of God shows us is like, hey, just it's very great to have that set apart portion of your day to do that with your children, but it shouldn't just be isolated to that. It should be just interwoven throughout your day-to-day interactions. Every time an opportunity comes up, life brings a lot of opportunities, right? And if you just have that one single portion of the day set apart for it, well, schedules get blown up. I feel like more days than, there's more days your schedule gets blown up than days where it doesn't, right? And so when you begin to do exactly what Deuteronomy 6 tells us to do and you interweave it into every aspect of your day and interaction with your children, it, it um, gives us those opportunities to share truth, to share the gospel with our children. A second pitfall or common pitfall we can fall into is coercing a profession of faith. And we've all seen this, right? We've seen it with other adults. I know I've been a part of a church many, many years ago where they had this big evangelism program. And one of the things I got really concerned about is I noticed we were going out and it seems like we're really trying to coerce people into just repeating a prayer and signing a card. And and we did it for selfish reasons. People wanted to report numbers. When it comes to coercing a confession or profession of faith from our children, 
Who is that about, truthfully? Is it about the child or about ourselves? If we're being honest, it's about ourselves, right? It's a selfishness that leads us to that. Maybe it's us having a shallow understanding of the gospel and thinking it's about simply a profession of faith. And we all want that peace of mind, right? That peace of mind that my children's, my child's walking with the Lord. So I'm going to try to twist this profession of faith out of them. Or maybe it's a pride thing, you know? How often does pride step in? Like, what does the rest of the church think about me? Or the other parents with youth that are all getting baptized and making professions of faith and mine isn't. When we come to coercing a profession of faith, it's very often about ourselves, about our own selfishness. Also, just that shallow thought that, oh, I just need to get them to repeat a prayer and that's good, they're in. That's not the gospel. But also, usually that comes back to laziness and the easy way out, right? Which one is easier? To get a child just to repeat a prayer and sign a card? Or to consistently, faithfully, day by day, share the gospel, patiently teach through the gospel, patiently teach through the word of God? That's a lot more challenging, right? Just getting that one time superficial profession of faith is is the easy way out. Also, when it comes to salvation, who is the one who saves? Anybody, child or adult? It's the Holy Spirit. There is nobody in this world that you will ever be able to talk into saving faith apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, be be it a child or an adult or anybody else. Coercing a profession of faith is a pitfall we must watch out for. A third pitfall that our lesson highlights for us is assuming the reality of regeneration. Assuming the reality of regeneration. Is everyone who claims to be a Christian truly saved? It's an easy answer, right? No. Jesus reminds us of this, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. People can say whatever they want, but we are not members of the kingdom of God until we have had a heart and a life changed by the gospel, by the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit regenerating our lives by the truth of the gospel, us having that relationship, that fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so just as we wouldn't wanna assume the reality of anybody's regeneration, we don't want to do that with children. What are some of the reasons that children will make a profession of faith? 
And when I say children, I don't know. Anybody, high school, middle school, elementary, what are some of the reasons? Yeah, there are, I mean, this might come as a shock, but there are a lot of children who want to please their parents, right? Uh, They don't always act that way, perhaps, but yes, there are children who are going to do, this is what mom and dad want me to do. I know the right things to say. They come up in the church. They hear the right things all the time. They hear the right words. And so I want to please my parents. Absolutely. What are some other reasons? Peer pressure. Yeah, don't forget for children, youth, this is their social circle in many ways, right? Like the, I think back to my own time growing up in the church. These were my friends. And so I wanted to act the way I knew they wanted me to act. I wanted to say the things I knew they wanted me to say. Even if my heart was in a wrong place, I was gonna hide it because this is my social circle. This is who I wanna hang out with on Saturday and I want parents to invite me to birthday parties and and all that stuff. So I'm gonna act and say whatever they want me to act and say regardless of where my heart is at. What are some other reasons young people make profession of faith? Yes, absolutely. I run into this with my children. We try, I try to engage them in a deep conversation. They want to go do something else or just not have that deep conversation. So they know what I need to say or what they need to say just to get out of this conversation, right? I mean, frankly, even evangelizing adults, I've ran into that from time to time. Like they're like, hey, I just know what I need to say to get this guy to quit talking to me. So I'm going to say it and move on. A fear of hell, That is absolutely correct, you know? They, and it's exactly as she said it. It's not that they've come to a place of hating their sin and recognizing the glories of Christ and wanting to submit to him and turn to him. And they just don't want to go to hell, right? And so like, if I can just recite a prayer and sign a card and get out of hell, it sounds like a pretty good deal to me, but that's not the gospel. That's not regeneration. I think there's numerous reasons why children can make a profession of faith. And we don't want to just assume that that is a genuine profession of faith. Now we're going to talk on the flip side in a moment. You don't want to extinguish that excitement for the gospel. You got to be very careful. There's a balance here, right? You don't want to um, automatically just rain down on any profession that they make. There's a balance, but we do want to be very careful. We don't assume the reality of their regeneration. It, It can take time. It will take time in any of us for the fruit of the Holy Spirit to show. And, and often what makes the work of the Holy Spirit most evident in our lives is the trials of life and just the trials that come about over time where the genuineness of our faith really shines forward. In line with this third pitfalls, a fourth one, assuring the child of salvation. Again, there's a balance here, but we don't want to just assume the validity of a superficial profession of faith. And then based on that, reassure that child 
of their salvation. This is another area where I can see I have fallen short as I look back 20, 25 years ago in my involvement in church, I, I came up in a somewhat easy believism type of environment. And in my mind, I was genuinely convinced that like, hey, if somebody makes a profession of faith, they're in no matter what. And you don't ever question that. And I can think back to times where somebody, they could have no evidence of God's work in their life, but I would be there assuring them of their, of their salvation based on some superficial proclamation in the past. And that's something we absolutely have to avoid because what can be worse than somebody not being saved and you really are discouraging them from investigating, looking further into their relationship with the Lord because you are reassuring them of their salvation based on some superficial profession of faith. Galatians 5, 22 to 25 um, talks about the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And, and I think of like Romans, Romans chapter eight where it talks about it's the Holy Spirit within us that is the assurance of our salvation. The spirit, Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God because if we belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ dwells within us and he promises to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. That is part of the gospel. It's not a get out of hell and be saved and that's the end of it. It's more than that, it's better than that. It is that, but it is so much more. It is the promise that God is not going to leave us in our spiritual death. By nature, we are enemies of God. We know the, uh, you go look at 1 Corinthians chapter six, the, the, what the flesh produces and the death that the deeds of the flesh and immorality and sin produces. God loves us so much that he promises not just to save us, but to even transform us into, into the likeness of Christ. And that's where the fruit of the spirit comes from. The fruit of the spirit that, that, that changes us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit and the work of the spirit that should bring about the assurance of salvation for our children and anybody else. A fifth common pitfall, rushing a child into baptism. Rushing a child into baptism. Now, is baptism a commandment for every believer? Absolutely. You look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, baptism is a commandment. Uh, you look even Acts 2, 38, early on in the church, baptism was a commandment for those who have given their faith in Christ. But whether it's a child or any of us, you notice I'm saying that a lot, right? Whether it's a child or any of us, baptism should take place when there's a reasonable assurance that the conversion, that the profession of faith is genuine. If, if anyone 
cannot articulate the gospel, the foundational truths of the gospel and how their life has been changed by it, baptism shouldn't take place, whether it's a child or an adult. And going back to the selfishness thing, so often, why do parents rush children into baptism? Is it for the child or for themselves? For themselves. And that could be brought on because of a false understanding of what baptism means. Some people attach salvific value that baptism saves us, that baptism is needed for my child to go to heaven, which is absolutely not biblical. The the New Testament clearly shows us that salvation happens and is 100% secured before baptism, that baptism is simply a public proclamation of the salvation that has already taken place. But if you believe that baptism is a requirement to get into heaven, then yeah, I bet you do wanna get your kid baptized real fast, right? Um, but that, that's not what baptism is. It, it also can come from that pride piece, like, hey, I'm doing awesome as a parent. Look at my kid up there already getting baptized. And that's just, again, pure selfishness. Rushing a child into baptism is another one of the pitfalls that we must avoid. Again, when there, we do see children baptized here, but it is when there's a reasonable assurance. You can't ever have perfect assurance. That doesn't exist for anybody, right? But until there's a reasonable assurance of, yes, this child can explain to me the fundamental truths of the gospel and how their life has been radically and eternally changed by that, that is when the topic of baptism should be brought up. So having looked at some of the key pitfalls, let's flip here to the other side. Talk about some of the foundational keys to evangelizing children. Some of the foundational keys to evangelizing children. Here are some of the things we absolutely wanna be sure we are doing. And the same theme, we're gonna see the same theme here. It's things that apply to all of our evangelism but specifically we'll just talk about in the context of evangelizing children, some of the unique ways it applies. First one, first and foremost, setting a consistent example of godliness. Setting a consistent example of godliness. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you find the home to be one of the hardest places to live a godly life oftentimes? I think it can be. I think, like, I show up to church on a Sunday morning, I know how I'm expected to act. I know how I'm expected to behave, how I'm expected to talk, what my attitude should be like. And I got about three hours I got to keep it up for, right? Like I got three hours. My family sees me all the time. And it's hard to keep up the right attitudes, the right behaviors and say the right things all the time, right? When we go to work, 
we put our best foot forward. Not only do we tend to dress our best, but we also tend to act our best, right? Because our careers are important. We want people to think highly of us, but our family sees us in our rawest condition. Yet, that is the, the front lines of our evangelizing. That is the front lines of our disciple making. How do our children on a day in and day out basis see us living out the gospel? There is nobody in your child's life that is gonna more powerfully reflect on the glory of Christ and on the gospel than you as a parent. What a tremendous weight and responsibility. What a tremendous weight and responsibility. And think about just what your children get to observe. And, and it automatically takes me back to what we were talking about with time is tough, right? Like there's not a lot of time in life. And so if you set up these individual moments in time, like, hey, at dinner, we're gonna read the Bible together. And at breakfast, we're gonna read the Bible together. That's great. And that is fantastic. But just remembering a lot of times that's gonna get blown up and it takes us right back to Deuteronomy chapter six, right? Where the teaching of the things of God is to be just a consistent aspect of our interaction with children's as we walk through every aspect of our lives. And what this means too, is it gives a whole new um, sense of importance to how we navigate the difficulties and challenges of life. You know, it's okay that our children see us when things go wrong. It's okay that our children see us in our raw moments because these are the realities of life. And what we should think about when we hit hard times and struggles is here's an opportunity for me to show my child how to live through these difficulties in a way that glorifies and honors God. Or when we make mistakes, we inevitably are going to make mistakes. And in our parenting, it's an opportunity for us to go to our child and say, you know, I sinned against you. I fell short of what God wants for me as a parent towards you and I am sorry. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking God to forgive me. And it's a picture of the gospel, right? Like in the one hand, our families see us in the most difficult times. And so that creates some of the hardest challenges for us to be the godly example we should be. On the flip side, those are God-given opportunities for us to live out the gospel and show our children that, hey, look, we live in a sinful fallen world and I'm a sinful person and we're full of mistakes, but the grace of Christ is more than sufficient for all of this. It gives really whole new meanings. We don't wanna be theological tyrants in our house, right? Like what good is it if you are just theologically brilliant? You know the whole Bible and every time your kid acts up, you can throw a Bible verse at them, but they never see the love of Christ in you. They never feel your love. You, you, you never care enough about them to, to love them beyond just trying to throw Bible verses at them all the time. 
the impact that we have on our children is profound. Think about our marriages. The marriage is given to us as a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. That's Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 to 23 in that area. Uh, the church, or the marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ in the church. That's very humbling, right? That, that is heavy. And now step back and evaluate. When my child observes my marriage, what picture am I giving them of Christ in the church? That is heavy. Aren't you so glad that Christ died for our sins and that his grace is more than sufficient? Because when you start to step back and evaluate yourself as a parent and evaluate how does my marriage put the love of Christ on display for my children, it's pretty easy to start to recognize a lot of flaws and a lot of shortcomings. But again, that in itself is an opportunity for a gospel witness to our children. The fact that, hey, look, we are doing our best and it is my honest desire to serve Christ faithfully, to love your mom faithfully, to love you faithfully and parent you faithfully. But as you can see, there's a lot of flaws too. And this is just the nature of life and a fallen world of sinful people. And this is why we need Jesus Christ. Oh, please. Wow. Absolutely. And isn't that the grace of God that we see throughout scripture that, look, this is, if you hear me minimize sin here, I'm not. Sin is, we gotta hate it and crush it. But it's the grace of God that he even takes our sin and turns it into an opportunity to glorify himself and demonstrate the gospel, right? Um, but it's on us to be faithful, to go back and ask for forgiveness, not just from our children, but from God, but um, definitely our children as well. A second key that the lesson highlights for us on evangelizing our children, Proclaim the complete gospel of Christ. Uh, again, what I brought up earlier, it's uh, our children are under, capable of understanding far more than we often give them credit for. Go look at what they're learning in school. With the Holy Spirit and God's word, they can understand the full gospel. It is on us to proclaim it to them. Uh, going back to what we mentioned earlier, we have no power in and of ourselves to save anybody. It's never gonna be your line of argument or your line of logic that convinces your child to turn their life over to Christ. Uh, 
It is the Holy Spirit working through the word of God, through the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That was always the emphasis for Paul. It wasn't his wisdom, power, and might that saved people. It was the gospel proclaimed. 2 Timothy 3.15 talks about how Timothy was taught from a young age the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. 1 Peter 1.23, we have been born again not of seed which is imperishable, but are perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. While time within the family is always a little bit chaotic and it's difficult to be structured with our time often, the reality is even if it's chaotic and unstructured, we get a lot of time with our children, right? And the time and the variety of circumstances that come about in life, those are always opportunities for us to proclaim the truth of God. Going back to what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter six, when, we, when we're at the dinner table, when we wake up, when we're going about our day, when we're in the car, there is plenty of opportunity. What comes to us is the command to be faithful, patient, and persistent. Those can be tough. It can be tough to be persistent and patient. But each moment of the child's life is a teaching opportunity. And the real key too is when there's misbehavior, when there's attitude problems, all those things, are we aiming when we jump in to discipline and talk to the child, are we aiming purely at behavior modification or are we aiming at showing them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Sometimes we fall into the trap of behavior modification, right? Because we're just trying to get through the moment. Like you just need to get through the grocery store line. You just need to get through dinner with a little bit less chaos, if at all possible. You just need your child to not do something that completely embarrasses you. And so, so often we just try to go for the easy, quick fix, the behavior modification. But it's always on us to challenge ourselves to go deeper. Not, it's not behavior modification that we're aiming for. We're aiming for a life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that takes a lot more work, right? That takes a lot more persistence. That takes a lot more patience and faithfulness. A third key to evangelizing our children given us in this lesson Understanding the biblical evidence of salvation. Understanding the biblical evidence of salvation. Second Corinthians 13, Paul challenges the Corinthians to examine them, themselves. For all of us, we should consistently examine ourselves. Does our life demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Does our life demonstrate that we are children of God. 
So if we should examine that in our own lives, our children should be challenged to examine that as well. And that's what we should be looking for in the lives of our children. Not just a simple, hey, repeating of a prayer, signing of a card, and that's it. But watching their lives to see the fruit of the spirit growing in their lives. Um, the 1 John's a great uh, chapter, uh, starting in John 10, John 10, 27 here. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Does our child show that desire to be a follower of Christ? To, to want to continually grow in their knowledge of Christ. I wanna know more about what God's word says to me. I wanna know more about what Jesus demands from our lives. Do we see a confession of sin? First uh, John three fourteen, a love for the brethren. First John is really a great letter for ourselves and for our children when it comes to this topic. First John is all about, here's what an unbeliever looks like and here's what a believer looks like. We're gonna paint a picture of both of them and just examine yourself up against these two pictures. Which one do you look more like? And so for our children, is there a love for the brethren? Is there a love for the church? Do they demonstrate a love for um, those who are around them? First John three fourteen. Um, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So examining our own lives and the lives of our children, if there is a deep love for the church, a growing love for the church and for fellow Christians, that is a great sign of something the Holy Spirit is producing in their lives. Like I try to look back, I, I was converted at a young age and um, when you're converted at that young of an age, you, it can be hard to kind of figure this out. But as I look back, like I look at myself as a nine-year-old and I say, okay, I deeply love the church, which makes no sense for your typical nine-year-old. And like, I remember my parents weren't believers, but my mom's like, hey, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm like, I wanna study Bible, I need to know more about. Like, what produces that but the Holy Spirit, right? Conversely, 1 John 3, 14 says, he who does not love abides in death. If you see no passion for the church, no growing love for the church, no desire to fellowship and be around God's people, that's a terrible sign for anybody. Right? That's what First John is doing for us. Showing us that, that desire to obey God's commands, do the will of God. Um, you think Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 2.10, by grace we have been saved through faith. That faith isn't even of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works never plays a role in earning our salvation, but works is going to be the result of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is um, the biblical evidence of 
salvation. And I think a key thing, and it'll be our fourth key here, when you see spiritual fruit in the lives of your child, latch onto that and encourage it. Encourage possible signs of conversion. Some people hear childlike expressions of faith and want to dismiss it and want to just write it off. Hey, just like you, you don't know what's going on in the heart and mind of a child. The Holy Spirit does amazing things. It's amazing that the Holy Spirit saves any of us, right? When, and so don't write off your child when they start making professions of faith or when they start talking about the things of God, latch on to that and encourage it and feed it with everything you've got. When your child asks a question about God, you better stop whatever you are doing and focus on that. Because I can't think of really anything else you could possibly be doing when your child wants to talk about God that is not more important. Feed that desire. Always point your child towards Christ. When challenges come up in life, show how that fits in the context of the gospel and point them to Christ. When good things come up in life, show them how that fits in the context of the gospel and point them towards Christ. That's what Deuteronomy is telling us. In all cases throughout the circumstances and context and the flows of life, Always just be talking about the goodness of the Lord, his truth, and pointing your children towards Christ. And lastly here, our fifth, and I would say perhaps the most important, trusting the absolute sovereignty of God. Look, when you start weighing yourself down with the anxiety of your child's salvation, you're weighing yourself down with something that you have no control over. There's not gonna be a single person in heaven who wasn't saved because God chose them in his sovereign love for them. That's the case for all of us. It'll be the case for our child. Our responsibility and what we should feel the weight of is being as faithful as we can, of being as faithful as we can in our own walk with the Lord and setting an example for them, of being as faithful as we can of teaching God's truth at every opportunity we find, uh, of being as faithful as we can in our marriages so that they show our children what the love of Christ is like. We should feel that way. That is our responsibility, but we know the outcome ultimately always falls on the sovereignty of God. That's why prayer is so critical. Every single day when you pray that your child is healthy, when you pray that your child is physically safe, when you pray that God continues to provide for you the... um, the means to provide for your children, the first prayer before all that should be for their salvation because we are all 100% reliant upon the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to bring about that faith. Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you so much for 
your goodness in saving any of us. And uh, there's no way we can do this perfectly, Lord. Um, We uh, fail many, many times every single day, but we're so grateful that you sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sinfulness and that you extend grace to us through him so that through your love, even our shortcomings become opportunities to share the gospel with our children. And whether we have children or don't, Lord, I just pray that every interaction we have with uh, the people around us and, and people younger than us, that you would let those be interactions where we point them towards your truth and your goodness and your saving love for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.